Hello and welcome to Talking HE. I'm Santa Nivasant. In this episode, I speak to Professors Sally Brown and Kay Samble about assessment and feedback. We discuss inner feedback and what that means for staff and students, peer feedback, compassionate assessment, and professional body requirements for assessment, and some advice for all higher education staff to be change makers. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, I'll start. My name's Sally Brown. I'm semi-retired now, and I've been obsessional about assessment and feedback for probably about 40 years. I had the privilege of working with Kay when she was at University of Northumbria, and somehow or other, we've kept writing together. And in fact, we are currently, all through lockdown, we've been writing and talking about uh, feedback and assessment all the way through, uh, and we are still doing it. Kay, who are you? So I'm Kay Sambell. I've uh, equally been passionate about assessment. Assessment for learning particularly is my bag. Um, And I had the privilege of working both with Sally and Liz McDowell um, at uh, Northumbria University um, and look back fondly to the days when we had a Centre for Excellence in Assessment for Learning at Northumbria, where we did some really pioneering work around assessment for learning and how to embed it in the curriculum. Um, so I go back quite a long way with the and, and very passionately about the whole assessment for learning debate and I'm really looking forward to talking to people today about it. I'm currently, uh, I've just uh, left a post at uh, Edinburgh Napier University where as a professor of higher education pedagogy and I'm absolutely loving getting back to the chalk face which I'm doing at the moment at Sunderland University with a dear colleague of mine Linda Graham um, but also working as an independent consultant. Thank you both for those wonderful introductions. I'd like to start off by asking you, what do you think is the most important thing around assessment and feedback? Oh, can I make a start, Sally, and then you chip in? Yeah. Okie dokie. Well, I suppose I've already declared my hand in my introduction, but for me, one of the most important um, things we've got to consider about um, assessment and feedback are how they promote and support, I guess, um, the learning aspect of our student experience rather than simply just measuring it and quality assuring it. Now, all those things are really important, but when people think about assessment particularly, they often jump straight to the assumption that it's purely about measuring what's gone on in the past or at a particular point. And whilst that's true up to a point, it also can play a massive part and a really productive part in the ways that students go about their learning. So for me, the most important thing is to think about our assessment and feedback designs. And I guess now it's more important than ever to think about our assessment and feedback designs so that they act as processes which support and enhance and promote students' will to learn their dispositions and their kind of real life experiences of learning. And if I can pitch in behind that, um, the model that was developed at the University of Northumbria, uh, and as you say, Kay, you were absolutely right to point to the pivotal role of our dear friend Liz McDowell, who's no longer with us, very central to that assessment for learning model 
was the whole idea of the importance of feedback and we're aren't we growing more and more interested in the way feedback can be shaping and changing learning I'd, I'd go even so far as to say if feedback doesn't change things you might as well not bother with it so I'm very keen on the concept of formative and summative assessment having separate but important roles as Kay says too often universities and indeed sometimes students focus just on the summative bit the summative which is about summing up judging often has lots of numbers associated with it an end point but I think I'd speak for Kay as well when I say that the formative assessment is what really interests us that is it forms shapes transforms students orientation behavior and even possibly themselves it contains lots of words and it's usually continuous and I wondered Kay whether you'd like to say a bit about where we're starting to go on inner feedback nowadays because I think the work you and Linda are doing in childhood studies down at Sunderland is really interesting the way you're getting students to learn to listen to their inner voices yeah I, I guess I guess what, what you've triggered me now is one of the most important things about assessment and feedback and I guess that's why I've started to use the word processes much more is that we have to build this in from the get-go rather than be uh, assessment and feedback be something that's tacked on at the end of a, an episode of learning um, and if you think about that in a module um, all too often we think about assessment and feedback as something that comes um, after the uh, event of students actually producing something now you can absolutely flip that and I think that now is the time to be really flipping that so that as Sally says students are doing things and getting feedback on things throughout the course rather than just uh, episodes which we call assessment at the end of a module or at the end of a program and that that's where the whole thing really comes alive so you don't see this difference of teach learn teach learn teach learn assess you actually entwine it completely um, together more like a sort of I'm doing all sorts of gestures which you can't see because I'm on a podcast um, but you know you need a spiral to be going on of stuff that students are doing and stuff that they're getting feedback on whilst they're actually going through the program itself inner feedback I think is an absolutely fabulous sort of radical model for doing this because what we've got to be mindful of is that unless students are actually um, creating the knowledge about how they're doing and what they've got to do next, um, any, any external feedback they get, they can't make sense of. So inner feedback um, is the new knowledge that students generate when they've done something or thought something and mm. then they've compared that with other reference points so st other stuff that people have done that, that might be other students have done it might be the way that their lecturers talk or think about something or it might even be how a textbook sees something and that model is so easy to start building in because once you see that, you see it everywhere and you see opportunities to exploit that inner feedback in every turn. And that's what's really excited me about this new, um, for me, teaching online is quite a new experience. And so we've had to rethink the feedback process um, in the module.
and teaching and it has really brought home to me how important it is to get students doing things actively and mm. then comparing that explicitly with other people's um, uh, analogous outputs or thoughts does that does that capture it yeah, I, I, I think so. And I was just going to say, to build on that, we're very taken with Roy Sadler's um, definition some years ago, that students need to be good at judging the quality of their work that approximately matches their lecturer's view of the concept of quality while they're actually doing it. And you and I and Linda don't want feedback to be just something students consume passively. Mm, Absolutely. That's... And actually, it's too onerous to think to, to, to put too much emphasis on the quality of the input message, i.e. what what the comments are that tutors write um, is, is, is a real problem, especially nowadays, because we're all so busy. So we have to find other ways of enabling students to see how they're going while they're actually doing it. So one needs to intervene in the process, but we have to find ways which are about intervening in ways which are reasonable for staff to do as well. And we know now we're beginning to see a lot of work coming out which suggests that we've got to stop fixating on the quality of the input message and we've got to start um, thinking much more carefully and proactively about the stuff that students are doing with the resources that we um, offer them. Now, Innovate Feedback absolutely does that because we make available the reference points and the resources against which they compare their mini productions or thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. But it, the, the important thing is that they, when they engage in that kind of activity, they start to see how else things can be done. They they don't just see how they how what the strengths and weaknesses of their own work is. They also see how else people think about these things or do these things. And that's what gets you the next steps. Because if you're only evaluating what you've done at the moment, that doesn't give you, it doesn't open up your reservoir of practices for what else you might do um, to see your next steps. So fairly self-evidently, I think that has to come quite early on in a module and keep coming throughout the module for a student to be in a position to see what else they can do. Could you say a little bit more about the language that academics need to think about in order to enact that change in behaviour from students so that they're not as strategic um, as they are at the moment? So to, to my view, the the, this is about talking much more about learning um, and assessment for learning rather than assessment for marks and grades. So when Sally said it's the richness of the words and the ways in which um, people are framing and talking about the process of learning, that to me is one of the keys, that we're talking with our students around, about learning rather than talking and focusing them and fixating them on um, getting the grades. Now they will get the grades if they, you know, if it's an authentic task, the grades mm. come mm. with that. But to overemphasize the assessment, um, in my mind, it becomes a problem because it, 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 it focuses on a very short term goal, um, just the grades. Now what we actually want are students who can think beyond the short term goal. We need 
um, assessment which helps students become um, uh, self-regulating and whatnot in the longer term. We're doing this for a reason in higher education. We're doing it because we're preparing future citizens or we're preparing future researchers or future professionals. It's, the, it's looking at the long term and helping students to see how what we're doing in the short term will help position them for the long term that mm. I think we ought mm. to be talking a lot more about. That's and really I, would, I would only briefly add to that mm. that one of the terms Kay and I are using at the moment is compassionate assessment. That is to say we're thinking about the ways in which assessment can put the well-being of the students at the heart. That's not being soft, that's not being soppy, but just remembering uh, that there is a real person at the end of the assessment, the feedback and the grades, and also being compassionate to staff because the workload for staff can be absolutely horrendous. So our design of assessment needs to make sure that we're thinking about the poor souls who are going to be doing all the marking, grading, feedback. Hmm. That's that's a really um, very good point, especially um, uh, linked to the kind of ongoing agenda around well-being of, of staff and students in in higher education at the moment. Um, I, I wanted to just um, um, you know develop this a little bit further by looking at um, the the way in which you you think um, how we can get staff to think about assessment if their professional bodies or regulatory bodies are are very strict about certain rules. So, so what what would you say to staff who say, well, actually, you know, my my professional body wants um, such and such exam um, and um, assessment structure. Well, I'll leap in to start that. Kay may may or may not wish to join in after me. First of all, we have to remember who the professional bodies are. And if we talk about engineering or nursing or medicine or or any of the big professional bodies, they are constituted of experts in the area, including people who are teachers and assessors. And my answer to your question, Santanu, is play the long game. And that is if you want to change the professional bodies, you have to infiltrate them you have to be part of them you have to get your voice in there mm. that is a long game mm. but in addition to that i've been asking around quite a lot um among uh, staff working with professional bodies through the covid issue as you know kay and i've been championing different approaches post covid and i'm being told that some of the professional bodies you'd expect to be very set in their ways are actually much more open than um, we might have expected. And I think sometimes, surprisingly, some of the professional bodies are saying, well, yes, we, we want to make sure our assessment is secure and reliable, and we can't necessarily rely on uh, exams that are uh, invigilated on campus because we can't do that. So let's look, I mean, to other ways of doing it. I, I, if I can chip in, I think this boils back down to this issue um, of authenticity and yeah. I suspect knowing why you're doing what you're doing um, for the longer term. I mean, Sally's talking there about the long, uh, you know, uh, working with your professional body as a long game. But again, the professional body will surely be interested in the professionalism of the uh, professionals that for whom they're responsible. So they've got the longer term view, one would hope. And if not, it's an opportunity to talk with them about the ways in which we are preparing our future professionals for worlds which we 
probably can't anticipate at the moment. I mean, one thing that we're, you know, has, has taken us all up short is how swiftly the world can change nowadays. Um, mm. So if our, our assessment practices are more authentic than, say, the traditional exam, it's a very persuasive tool, I would have thought, to... Um, explicate that with with a, a professional body as to why that's really important for the longer term uh, future of a student rather than simply to get a bunch of marks. What would be your advice to staff who want to get their colleagues to specifically change the way in which they do assessment and feedback? Well I, I think we're very often, in, if we're in the process of change management in universities, we're very often coming again, up against the cold dead hand of we've always done it this way and therefore mm. it must be right mm. and we've come through this system and we're good so therefore it must be right and I think um, this phrase I often use is we have to storm the barricades sometimes and how we storm the barricades, our weapons are passion sound evidence base of 30, 40 years of research in a particular area, in this case, assessment and feedback. Hmm. And we have to find champions at high level. Those are the only ways we'll make change in universities, in professional bodies, is to make sure we know our stuff inside out. We're able to make our case persuasively and we can, through lobbying, through a whole variety of means, we can actually bring senior colleagues along with us by persuading them first and then getting them to back us up. I think also we have a, um, a raft of really good examples which actually make life easier. And I think there's something um, which is quite persuasive when you're at the chalk face about um, uh, finding practical means of doing things. I think they can be also very persuasive. The, the, the sort of sense that this um, shifts your workload but ultimately reduces we do an awful lot of busy work which is quite unproductive very boring <laughs> um, and and very very onerous and I think you know feedback is a case in point you know um, if we can find other ways of doing feedback which are streamlined and more efficient from the staff viewpoint um, then that's all to the good and is quite a persuasive tool in our armory. Mm, it's a little bit like uh, school teachers giving detentions you know when I was a secondary school teacher you know who do you do it for um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know other ways of catching people being good um, you know and, and the notion of um, you know praising in public and criticizing in the corner, which is a, a yeah. phrase of my 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 soon to be retiring mother uh, in primary school education after twenty six years. So, what are the lessons that you've learnt from um, COVID around assessment and feedback? Well, I, again, I'll start, but I'm no doubt Kay will have plenty of things to say too. As far as I'm concerned, the thing that's been exciting over the last six eight months is. All those things people told us couldn't change, we have changed. All those things people told us couldn't be done, we have done. All those things that some of us have been advocating over many years as being excellent practice, and we've just been told, yeah, but students will cheat, or it's too expensive, or we've booked all the uh, exam halls, so we just have to run exams. And I have actually heard that from a senior manager on one occasion. All those things we heard actually 
in a crisis where we're trying to do the best by our students, maintain standards, maintain confidence of the public, we actually have succeeded in. And my big message is we must never, ever go back to the old way of doing things. Now we've made these good changes, we have to build on them. I think for me what has been very salutary in this is the ways in which um, institutions have tended to um, have conversations across the institution and has brought together people who perhaps wouldn't normally talk to each yeah. other yeah. quite as much as would be ideal. So it's the sort of cross-boundary nature of some of the conversations which happened um, around the online switch that actually put um, different stakeholders together in the same room perhaps you know with a with a sort of common purpose to, to to cope with a very rapid change which has kind of raised awareness hopefully around what everybody can bring to the party and that we are better together um, working on some of these um, semi-wicked issues rather than trying to just beaver away in an isolated manner on our own or park it at somebody else's door. So I think it's the joined up nature of the ways in which we can start to think about assessment and feedback from a range of through a range of lenses. So, for instance, learning technologists or, or um, uh, people, educational developers have started having more conversations with, say, quality enhancement, quality management processes mm. in, in a really healthy manner. And I would hope that that will have um, benefits down the line. And uh, piggybacking on that, Kay, um, I, I think it's very clear that people who might have been regarded by senior managers as well nice to have but not essential like learning technologists like educational developers like people like us three suddenly they've become very aware that we have a crucial role to keep the university going particularly in a crisis but actually all the time and for once they're really being forced to listen to us and actually make changes as a result and I think that's something to celebrate. Mm. Mm. No, I, I agree with you totally. Obviously, I would say that, um, <laughs> and we would say that. Um, we 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 want to um, we want this podcast um, to to be listened to not just obviously by higher education professionals, but others as well to have a have an understanding of um, of the sector and and the and the work that it does and the impact that it has. Because sometimes it's um, at least in my um, you know. Uh, relatively short working life. Um, it, it's not as understood um, by by other sectors um, and you know friends and family and others who you know um, do sometimes question what is it that you do um, mm -hmm. as a role. So um, yeah, that's that's really um, interesting well, to um, well, to hear I've, that. I've worked across schools, all levels. Uh, further education, uh, prisons, stalls, uh, the home tuition service, universities indeed, further education and what I will say is that what's been a huge learning point for me and I bet you found it too Santana is coming from particularly going directly from FE into HE how much transferable there is and how many of the things that suddenly seem like a brilliant idea in higher education and you and I might go well they'd be doing that for years in FE and in schools. Mm. Mm. 
No, I, I agree with you totally. Obviously, I would say that, um, <laughs> and we would say that. Um, we 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 want to um, we want this podcast um, to to be listened to not just obviously by higher education professionals but others as well to have a have an understanding of um, of the sector and and the and the work that it does and the impact that it has because sometimes it's um, at least in my um, you know uh, relatively short working life. Um, it, it's not as understood um, by by other sectors um, and you know friends and family and others who you know um, do sometimes question what is it that you do um, as a role. So um, yeah, that's that's really um, interesting well, to um, well, to hear I, that. I've worked across schools, all levels, uh, further education, uh, prisons, stalls, uh, the home tuition service, universities, indeed further education and what I will say is that what's been a huge learning point for me and I bet you found it too Santana is coming from particularly going directly from FE into HE how much transferable there is and how many of the things that suddenly seem like a brilliant idea in higher education and you and I might go well they'd be doing that for years in FE and in schools and but there, I absolutely am with you, Santanu, on the, the you know the similarities. The similarities are how people learn. Actually, um, the one of the key differences in one sense is that uh, we may not feel it, but in higher education we set the assessment. So yeah. we, you know we tend to have um, uh, the wherewithal to design the assessment approach um which isn't necessarily true in you know the public exam situations for instance so um that is uh in some ways a lot more liberating um because we can make choices which are about our specific subject area uh, and so on um and then how we get students to those points um i think are all about the um the, the the processes of learning that are uh similar across all sectors um they're about what students or learners do as much as they're about what teachers do to them they should you know teachers are there for them not <laughs> to deliver stuff to them um, and that's where i see that the sectors um do coincide mm. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of of traffic, and of course, in assessment and feedback, um, you know, some of our gurus are indeed from the compulsory schooling sector. So Black and William, um, Black and Williams' work, which is much cited in higher education, mm. is absolutely mm. um, built around practices in uh, compulsory schooling classrooms. Mm. Um, so we have, we do already have quite a synergy. <laughs> um, but I think there are some significant differences too, which actually make us well positioned to make some more sensible choices than we hitherto have in higher education. Kay, when we're looking at your thinking on inner feedback and indeed anything beyond feedback, where would we go to read about it? Um, well, I suppose I would say this, but um, I think we had two chapters in our the book I wrote with Liz McDowell and Catherine Montgomery on feedback, 
um, some of which have been superseded, but some of which is still, I think, really pertinent. The two chapters were formal feedback and informal feedback in the book called Assessment for Learning in Higher Education. And I think um, there has been such an emphasis on formal feedback that we've tended to lose the plot a bit and lose eclipse um, informal feedback or what Diana Laurelard would call in intrinsic feedback. That is feedback that students get as they go along through actually doing stuff rather than being told stuff. Um, so I think that's actually quite a nice starting point with lots of worked examples. But the most recent article that uh, is, is just literally just hot off the press is by David Nicholl on exploring the notion and the power or exploiting the power of internal feedback, which is in assessment and evaluation in higher education. Thank you to Professor Sally Brown and Kay Samble for their time. Next time on Talking HE. I speak to Kulveer Baha about the digital divide, a preview coming up. My name is Kulveer Baha. I'm a digital development editor at the Open University in the FutureLearn MyCredentials team. How can we help with the digital divide in the UK? I think for the learners from the OU, there's been a lot of work going on around student voice. So it's all about hearing what the learners are telling the OU in terms of what they need. Um, giving them the opportunity to co-create some of the content to test some of the learning materials that they're actually learning and give us ongoing feedback and that can sometimes mean doing a lot of surveys with the learners and ask them to tell us what they think. One of the bigger issues is that a lot of the learners quite a high proportion compared to other HEI or higher educational institutions in the UK have disclosed that they've got disability so we at the OU they have to take that into consideration and make sure that not only do they get a good positive experience on the online side of learning they get for printed materials as well and that's been quite a big project at the Open University. All that and more in the next episode of Talking HE. Until then, thanks for listening. I've been Santanu Vasant, and this has been Talking HE.